we are in a cocoon right now. And no matter how fast a caterpillar runs, it's got a lot of legs, it cannot outrun and it cannot fly like a butterfly. And so to get to that level of being able to fly like you want to do in terms of soaring to new heights in terms of your life personally and professionally, it requires that you do some work. You know, my favorite book says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. I just want to quickly, without further ado, just wanted to say um, thanks all for being here. We have, um, you know, it's been a great honor for me to work with you for the entire week. And, um, and the gentleman that is, um, we're blessed enough to have um, share with us in just a few moments has been a, a real hero of mine uh, for many, many years. Um, I don't even think he knows this, actually, but uh, Mr. Les Brown is... Um, is someone that, uh, uh, Les, I don't know if you know this, but I have been uh, speaking um, as part of T. Harv Eckers, Million Mind Intensive for many years, etc. And I got to know a lot of the, the, the organizers. And every single time I go to any event uh, and, I say, and I say, who's the nicest uh, speaker to work with, the guy with the biggest heart? Everybody always says, Mr. Les Brown. So ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, please help me. If you just do a virtual round of applause for um, a living legend and an amazing human being, uh, Mr. Les Brown. Mr. Les, how are you? Good, better than most, and sometimes even better than that. How are you doing? <laughs> I am awesome. I am awesome. We are so excited to have you on the call today. Uh, thank you so, thank you so, so much for agreeing to um, come and help us and give us some of your wisdom um, prior to this, I actually posted, uh, I believe it was your Georgia Dome speech, and so everyone is um, excited. Excited is an understatement to just learn from you and, um, and just hear you a bit today, and I'm just, as I say, so grateful for you to come on board, so thank you so much. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to your tribe, and, and congratulations to all of you who see the value, now more than ever, of investing in yourself and looking for ways to take your life personally and professionally to the next level. We're living in a very different time. I'm 75 years old. As of February 17th, I celebrated my 75th birthday. I've seen a lot of things, but I have never seen anything like this. I've been calling my daughter downstairs. I said, baby, have I been dreaming? She said, no, it's no dream, it's real. <laughs> I said, oh my God. I can't believe this. Oh my goodness. So it, th this is real. So she told me that I'm not gonna wake up and it was a bad dream. Hmm. And I was watching too much television about two weeks ago and I sneezed. And, and before I knew it, I ran downstairs and said, wait a minute, that's my sneeze. But I came back upstairs and still sprayed some Lysol in the room. <laughs> I got to get everything. <laughs> so I'd like to, to share with you some thoughts around 
what it is that that people who are winning now, yeah, what they're doing. And it says, people say that opportunity knocks on every door. And I, I don't agree with that entirely. I believe that opportunity stands by silently waiting for you to recognize it. We are in a cocoon right now. And no matter how fast a caterpillar runs, it's got a lot of legs, it cannot outrun and it cannot fly like a butterfly. And so to get to that level of being able to fly like you want to do in terms of soaring to new heights in terms of your life personally and professionally, it requires that you do some work. You know, my favorite book says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. And so I don't know you, but here's what I know about you based upon my own experience. You have something special. You have greatness in you. And when you realize and recognize that, it's very important that you have a strategy to reinforce that because things happen to us over the, before the year is out. Statistics indicate things will happen personally mm. to us or mm. to people that we care about. And so one of the first things that's very important is fortify your mind. Mm. I think that you should create a ritual, if you're not doing it already, to fortify your mind. When I get up in the morning, I number one, I, the, I have a scripture that I always say, all things work together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. And then I have an affirmation, which is, Lord, whatever I face today, together, you and I can handle it. Lord, whatever I face today, Together, you and I can handle it. And then I review the agenda for my life, the things that I'm going to do today. Most people just want to get through the day. I have a goal and objective of getting things out of the day. And, and so I want you to think about where you are right now and look beyond this moment where we are and make a commitment, if you have not already, to be dramatically different coming out of this time than going in, that you have a, a dramatic transformation because it's required. We're in a new space we have never been before. And so you have to ask yourself, how do you see your life after this? This place where we are, it has not come to stay, it has come to pass. I was listening to the young lady who talking about the things that she implemented based upon what she learned that Ryan shared with her and that took her practice to the other level. And, and so all of us have moments in our lives that we have to begin to upgrade the kind of input that we receive, the strategies that we explore to begin to move ourselves to that next level. But look at yourself, look at your goals and whatever goals that you set for yourself, I'm encouraging you to raise the bar. Why less? Well, I'm going to share with you why I'm raising the bar. I always ask audiences when I speak to them, how many of you know if you had your life to live over again, you could have done more than what you've done thus far? And I raise my hand, and most people raise their hands. And, and so the reason I believe that most of us don't achieve and do more is because of the fact 
of our mental conditioning and our circumstances and things that we go through. Dr. Martin Seligman, who wrote the book Learn, called Learned Optimism, and, and, and he said that, that the, the difference between people, what they do and what they achieve, is largely determined between the ages of zero and five, mm. that we determine what's available. We say, yes, there's a word in our heart that says yes, or it says no. And so in order to convert that no into a yes, it's very important that we do some work to peel back the things that have been instilled in us because we live in a world where we're told more about our limitations rather than our potential. And so I'm encouraging you to begin to look beyond where we are right now and, and, and begin to envision how you see yourself, how you see your practice and be in alignment of what it takes to produce that. I want you to write this down, radical change. Mm. That as you look at yourself, look at your goals, opportunity does not knock on every door, but what happens is that you must be willing to be vigilant. You must be willing to know that opportunity does not knock on every door, but it stands by silently waiting for you to recognize it. Out of this period where we are right now, that I see as a cocoon, new techniques and strategies, marketing methods and techniques, expanded visions, new, new opportunities of all types. I remember the first time I, I, when I had, I had injured myself and I went to a few doctors and, and they, they wanted to put me on some addictive medication and I said, no. And I went to, to talk to this chiropractor, first time I, that had ever been an experience of mine. And I was a state legislator at the time in Columbus, Ohio. And this gentleman had a passion for his work unlike I'd ever seen before. And, and the reason I went to him Someone told me about him, and he had been in a car accident, and traditional medicine did not help him. And he went to a chiropractor, and they did not uh, expect him to go back to work, and he did go back to work without the complications that he had initially. But most importantly, he was free of pain from an adjustment that was made. I said that you got to be kidding me, and I was in excruciating pain. Uh, and, and the way that happened, I was, <laughs> I was uh, driving in, in in an area, and I uh, a neighborhood residential area, and I saw this this older lady, in, and she was trying to pull up the base of a swing that her granddaughter had been been using, and so I. I circle around and came back. I said, hey, ma'am, I'll come help you. So she said, you will? I said, yes, ma'am. So I came over and she had already dug part of it up, the, the dirt that was on top of it. And I pulled, pulled that base up and she said, what a man. So with those words of encouragement, I didn't try to get the dirt off the other bricks. I went over, like I'm really, I'm Superman. Here I come to save the day. <laughs> mm. 
90 miles, he's on his way. And I went over to pull it up without taking any sand off it. I pulled it up and I got it up too. And then I went back to my car and when I got home, I couldn't get out the car. <laughs> I said, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I my I had strained something in the lower part of my back. I don't know if my uh, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever had any kind of pain in your lower back, but mm. I had sciatica pain that was unbelievable. I'd never had this experience before. And so I thought I could defeat this pain by mind over matter. And Sadika said, you don't know me like that. <laughs> you gonna need some help. <laughs> so I sat there for a moment and I said, I feel this pain, but it's mind over matter. I put my one leg out and I got out slowly. And then I just pushed myself up through the pain and I let out, let out a scream. Wow! My kids came running out, Daddy, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. <laughs> so I went to this gentleman, and I was in, I was all bent over. Boy, but when he got through with me, I walked out, and no pain. I said, whoa, my God, this is unbelievable. No pills. And so I, I, and I had just gotten elected to the Ohio legislature, and there was a procedure that chiropractors could not perform that you had to go through the eye. I don't, I don't remember the name of it, but I sponsored that bill and I supported it. That chiropractors were not allowed to administer it, but they, the, but we got the legislation passed. And and but the point that I'm making is, this guy who was living a totally different life. He reinvented himself mm -hmm. after that accident. He was his life was in a new place, and he decided that because of, of of how he was able to achieve a level of wellness and flexibility, mm -hmm. this was going to become the new direction of his life. This was going to become his passion. And so, this is a time that you have to look at yourself, look at what your goals are, and I encourage you to expand your vision and raise the bar in yourself. Mm. Uh, when I got back from my trip to Dubai, and this is before the lockdown, and people were required to go into quarantine for 14 days, all of my speaking engagements were gone. Mm. And so my assistant said, what are you gonna do? I said, well, we're going from butts in the mm -hmm. seats to eyeballs on the screen. Mm. We have to go virtual. And, and, and as a result of that, we've been able to do three to four events a day virtually. And, and so we have to look, by, look at opportunity doesn't knock on every door. It stands by silently waiting for us to recognize it. So I have to make a radical change. As a result, I'm not getting on another airplane. As a result, no, travel, I'm done. That's it for me. And my kids said, Dad, you're kidding. Are you retiring? No, I just don't want to fly anymore. And I'm not going to take any chances getting on an airplane and some motivated coronavirus bug say, I think I'm going to take an old dude out today. 
Não, não, não. Aqui me lava lombas. Safe on the ground in my room upstairs with my Lysol, with my gloves and my mask. And that's what I want y'all to wear when y'all come up and leave my food at the door. <laughs> so this is a time to be mindful, but don't be consumed. Do what's necessary to keep yourself out of harm's way, but don't be consumed with fear. Zig Ziglar said fear, he used an acronym. He said, most people forget everything and run but a few people face everything and rise. And so this is a time you make a radical change in your life to rise to that next level and doing what it is you're doing now, investing in yourself and engaging other strategies and techniques that will allow you to grow personally and professionally. Einstein said, the thinking that has brought me this far has created some problems that this thinking can't solve. The next thing is, as, as you look at yourself, look at your goals and dreams, develop a ritual that's good for you, that works for you. I get up in the morning, I have, I have a ritual that I practice. One, I listen to a lot of motivational messages in the morning. But the other thing that I do that's very important to me, I have a gratitude list. I write down seven things that I'm grateful for. Seven things on my gratitude list. And then after those seven things, I get ready for my day. But it gives me some time to think, to reflect. I do my 20 minute meditation. I don't watch the news because whatever you see first thing in the morning, it affects the spirit of your day. And, and, and so as negative as the news is and all the mixed messages that are coming out now, we have to protect our mind because we got so much pollution and, and mis mm. mixed signals that's coming at us, we, we don't have the mental bandwidth to take it all in. Here's the other thing is, keep moving. A friend of mine, Dr. Stacy N.C. Grant, one of my mentees, I, I trained speakers at this point in my life. I've been doing this for 51 years. And she wrote a book called Action, Action, Despite the Distractions. And, and this is a time that a lot of people are distracted and focusing and looking at the statistics and looking at all the things that are going on right now and, and stopping and, and taking in all the negativity and being consumed by the fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power mm -hmm. and of love and a sound mind. And so this is the time to be actively engaged to do exactly what you're doing, learning the techniques, the strategies, and everything that you can get from Ryan that will allow you to expand and to grow your practice and expand your vision of what's possible. When I think about my life, there's no way that I would be here were it not for someone like Ryan. I was labeled educable mentally retarded when I was in the fifth grade. And, and put back from the fifth grade to the fourth grade, fell again when I was in eighth grade. I have no college training. I was born in a poor section of Miami, Florida called Liberty City, an abandoned building on a floor with my twin brother. We were laughing on the phone this morning. He says, I look like your father. You look like you are not 75, but I look like I could play Santa Claus. I said, I know. <laughs> I said, you know what, Wesley, 
you need to get some help, my brother. Just because we're 75, we don't have to look 75. Come on. This is you, you know, this is show business. People see you before they hear you. And it, it's amazing how you can be raised in the same circumstances, same environment, and and end up dramatically different from your brothers and sisters. My, I'm one of seven children and my my six brothers and sisters look at me like an alien. They, they, <laughs> they just can't believe the life that I live. And I say to you that the reason that they can't hear me is because they know me. Mama said, familiarity breeds contempt. And so as you look at yourself, look at your goals and dreams, one of the things that I, I've been reflecting on, and that is upgrade your relationships. Uh, my, my youngest son just finished setting us up here. And, and you have to look at yourself and look at who's in your ear, who's around you. You earn uh, very close to the money that the people that you are close yeah. to earn. When I found that out, I got all the broke people out of my life, you know, because I used to be so broke, I walked past a bank and tripped the alarm. <laughs> I said, no, y'all got to go. You know, don't go away, man, but you got to go away from here because I wanted more. And my mother used to say, birds of a feather flock together. You run around with losers, you end up a loser. And there's some people, they're fine living a small life. They're fine just surviving. What it takes to live and what it takes to survive are totally two different things. The other thing is you look at your goals and, and look at your dream. It's, it's very important as we are apart to find ways to communicate more effectively with the people in your community and, and, and continuously look for ways to create a level of intimacy and connectedness and bonding and, 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 and being able to continue to allow them to see you as a source, as a resource that they can turn to. And Les, Les, I wonder if I can jump in there on that note. It was something you said to me exactly on that note. Recently, I was having a conversation with Les on the phone, and he said to me, one thing you say to speakers is that what you say is important, but what's in your heart is so much more important. And it was probably the first time that anyone's ever said that to me from a communication perspective when you're talking about communication. And one of the biggest things that we get from your communication is heart. So do you have any, on that note, do you have any advice for us to communicate more authentically and congruently? Yes. Uh, number one, listen to how your customers or your community is listening to you. The best communicators are the best listeners. Listen to how people are listening to you. Number two, never let what you want to say get in the way of what your community wants to hear. Mm. I spoke in the Georgia Dome before these 80,000 people. When I came in, I assumed that the story that I told about my son, John Leslie, who just left the room, my beating him in Connect Four, would be the story that will stand out in people's mind. I learned a very good lesson. After the speech, people came to the table and said, look, um, I want that cassette tape that you had uh, about how you became a disc jockey and you were hungry. 
you got to be kidding. No, but well, it's on this one, but it says it's not over till you win. Okay, but that's not what I want. I want that one. It's like if you ever bought an album and you take it home and you you heard for, for one song and then you heard something on the album that was better than the song that you heard and why you purchased it. And so people wanted the story about how I became a disc jockey. I said, whoa. So I learned something from that. I just start testing things. And so what I started doing is listening. I would, I would tell a story and then I would listen to how the people or the person was listening to me. And if they responded, hmm, wow, hmm, that's a keeper. Based upon what that response is would determine what I would incorporate in the process of my communication with that person to persuade or to encourage them to see what I'm sharing with them that would be of value to them. But I would test it before I went out to the broader community to, to make it a major part of my presentation. So it's, it's about listening, paying attention, asking strategic questions so that they would respond and, and then I'll know how to align myself. Let me give you another good example. I spoke for Nevada's Pharmaceutical. They brought me in to give a speech on, you gotta be hungry. And so I decided to stay around and to listen to the other presenters. And then they had some advertising on the table on brochures that said, the danger zone. I was looking at the opportunity to create more business. Opportunity doesn't knock on every door, it stands by silently waiting for you to recognize it. Mm. So I asked the president of the company, I said, what does this danger zone mean? Oh, this is what we're doing is teaching doctors how to communicate with their patients and let them know if they don't take their hypertension medication, they can have a stroke or they can have a heart attack and die. I said, do you take hypertension medication? He said, yes. I said, why? He said, because I want to live. And then I asked, then why are you waging a campaign on fear? He said, whoa, that's true. He said, do you and I train doctors? I said, absolutely. He said, I'll give you the contract. <laughs> Guess what I did? I went, I called my doctor. I called a few other doctors that I had been communicating with. I'm overcoming fourth stage cancer, have been for 27 years. And, and I put together training. And they offered me how much they would pay me for it and asked me, would that be okay? Guess what they asked me? We'd like for you to speak in 35 cities. We can, we can pay you $640,000. That's Monday through Thursday, 16 engagements. I said, you gotta be, you gotta be kidding. He said, okay, we can, we can add another $20,000. 
I was saying you got to be kidding out of disbelief. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to say anything right away because I don't smoke an unknown tongues. Tada yellow bow tie, tada yellow bow tie. <laughs> oh my God. And he said, okay, okay. $660,000. I said, all right, all right, all right. This is our first time expanding in this area with training. We got a deal. He shook his head. Now, had I not taken the time to listen and to ask him some key questions, I would not have been able to take advantage of that opportunity that was waiting there for me to recognize it. And I went on to train other for other pharmaceutical companies, the same thing, teaching doctors how to communicate with their patients. And I interviewed a variety of doctors to find out Ryan, I want to ask you a question. Yes, Are sir. you there? Yes, sir. Why do you think patients are compliant when a doctor prescribes a medication? What is it about that experience that will cause that patient to say, mm, I think I'm going to take the medication? What do you think it is? So the belief in the, in the person that's providing the information, the belief in the way that the, 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 cert, the certainty with which they provide that information uh, more than anything, the belief. That's that's what I, I would guess. Yes, the belief, but also that they like the doctor. <laughs> if they don't like the doctor, they're going to put that medication in the trash can or just be right there in the medicine, medicine cabinet. But the belief, if they like the doctor and the belief in that doctor, mm -hmm. they will take their medication. So when I went around and interviewed all of these doctors and asked, do you know the patients that are compliant? And, and what is it? How do you know that? And, and based upon that information that I got from over 15 different doctors, I put together the training that allowed me to take advantage of that opportunity and, and went from here in the United States to speaking in Sweden and the UK mm. and, and, and all across the country and out and around the world. So, so being a, a communicator it's, it's, it's very important that we listen, that we listen to the listening of how we are communicating and what people respond to and watching them, their body language, watching their eyes. And, and it's an it, it, interesting thing is that when you take the time to listen to them and respond, that they will share with you what's really on their minds. And, and you want to speak to that. You have another question you'd like to ask me, please. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Um, I want to ask you. You know, you speak about one of your one of your podcasts I was listening to recently, and uh, you were talking about challenge, and you gave uh, the reason I wanted to bring this up was right now. There's many there's many people on the planet going through challenges. Changes happening with their businesses. You know, things that they've had to pivot. They've had to do all sorts of things. And one of the analogies you gave was the caterpillar to butterfly analogy. And how, and how the challenge was part of the process. But I'd love you to expand on that a little bit and how we could use that analogy uh, in our lives right now. Because I, I guess sometimes we can feel a little bit sorry for ourselves. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. You're going through a challenging time. Uh, you've got that potential to feel a little sorry for yourself at times. But I love the way you explain that process. And I'd love you to expand on that for us if you don't mind. Well, when you're in a, the, the butterfly, when he goes in the caterpillar, he's not in there watching ABC or CBS. <laughs> 
on CNN, constant negative news. He's in there working with all those little legs. He's got to sew these little legs together to create the feathers so he could soar and fly like, uh, what's what's his name? I believe I could fly. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> like he used to do, but he's not flying right now. <laughs> okay, R. Kelly. No. <laughs> and so, so, so he's working, and this is the time that you put in the work that will take you to that next level. And that's where the people on this call are. And there's some people who should be on this call and they're not. The mm. people that's on this call, Ryan, trust me on this. They are hungry. The people that's on this call, they believe always strive to get on top in life because it's the bottom that's overcrowded. The people that are on this call, they think like I think. Take no prisoners and eat the wounded. When I came into this industry, my goal was not to be a speaker. My goal was to be the speaker. And so when you have that kind of mindset, you have a mindset of expectation. And, 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 and the best illustration I can give you of that, my oldest son, we went for a walk. And I wanted to just share with him what I was feeling about him and observing him in my heart. And I said, Calvin, do you want to be successful? My namesake. And he said, yes. I said, come on, son, let's continue to walk. And after about 10 minutes, I stopped him again. I said, do you expect to be successful? He got up in his face. And he just looked at me. And he didn't answer right away. Why? Want shows up in conversation. Expectation shows up in behavior. Mm. And so he knew. He's a single father of two children. He knew. I took him to Miami-Dade Community College. He went through the front door and went out the back door. He knew. He said, oh, dad, I don't want to go to school right now. I just need to set out for a year. He knew what I've done. Every All children should go far beyond their parents. He knew that year I'd earned over $5 million. And he couldn't scratch the surface of that. And that the dramatic difference between us was my expectation and the demand on myself. Dr. J was playing basketball after he retired, he became a very successful businessman. And a guy asked him, how did you become so successful in business? He said, I demand more of myself than anybody can ever begin to imagine. My youngest son who just left here, I worked circles around his little behind, just turned 36. And I'm 75. I'm the first one to get up in the morning and the last one to go to sleep at night. I don't have to do this. But first of all, I'm filing a, a, a class action suit against the Catholic Church. I got five boys and five girls. The rhythm method does not work. I've got <laughs> rhythm, but the rhythm method does not work. You, you, could you feel a brother up in here, up in here? <laughs> I got five boys, five girls, 15 grandchildren, and four grandsons. So my, a good man leaves a legacy for his children, for his children's children. So I'm building a legacy. Mm. And so the, 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 the requirements that you put on yourself to move your practice, regardless, we can't control what happens in life. What we can control is how we respond to it. Elsie Robinson said, things may happen around you and things may happen to you, but the only things that really count 
are the things that happen in you. Another case in point, when Dr. Alfred Goldstein had a, a weird sense of humor, when he diagnosed me with prostate cancer, and he said it was fourth stage in my PSA, which stands for prostate-specific antigen, as all of you know, was 2,400. He said, Mr. Brown, he said, the cancer is metastasized to seven areas of your body, including the spine. I said, oh, I said, you, did you say seven? He said, yes. I said, wow. Did you hear me? I said, yeah, you said seven, right? He said, yes. Why are you smiling? Man, seven is my lucky number. Mm -hmm. I, I was born February the 17th. I'm one of seven children. Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho seven times. Naaman dipped himself in the River Jordan seven times. He looked at his nurse and said, he's strange. <laughs> so I said, can you give me a second opinion? He said, yes, and you're ugly too. <laughs> And then he got serious and said, but you got this. We determine the diagnosis. You and God determines the prognosis. Do you hear me? I said, yes. When we laugh, the mind shuts down and the heart opens up. When he spoke, he spoke to my heart. And as a result of that, I left there with faith and courage in my heart that I got this. Not fear, cancer's most feared word in seven different languages. That's 27 years ago. And I'm still here making a difference, still here speaking and transforming people's lives. And so as we look at ourselves, look at our goals, one of the things you said that's very important, that the, the, the level of conviction, how people communicate mm. is major. That is really major. When I came up, the, the thinking was, if you build the best mousetrap, the world will be the path to your door. That day is gone. Today, if you got good marketing, people will line up outside your store and sleep in sleeping bags waiting for you to open up so they can buy a phone they've never seen mm. because of marketing. It's, it's very important. But the thing after the marketing is the experience that you create with that person one-on-one, -on -one, the experience that you create with small groups or large groups, when you talk about what it is that you do, there's an old saying, you can take a horse to the water, you can't make him drink, but you know how to communicate effectively, you can create a thirst where they want to drink, where they want to come in and get their lives in alignment where they want to. Now, I, 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 I was sharing with a friend who was in a chiropractor and he had to speak. I said, have they ever seen you before? He said, no. I said, let me share with you, if I were you, this is how I would take this presentation to this audience here. And so at that time, I was a disc jockey in Columbus, Ohio. And, and so I so loved this guy, but he was an introvert. He was a very an ambiverted personality, but he was not like me. I'm crazy, I'm different. 
And so I said, my very good friend that I've been going to as a chiropractor, I said, he is here today because he has a passion for helping you to be in alignment with your life, with the things that you see and envision for yourself. I want you to think about your life right now and what it is that you want. And, and I want you to hold the vision of yourself. And I want you to think about where you are right now in relationship to where you think you should be. And, it, and, it, and, if, that, and if that's not in alignment, what he does is he helps you get in alignment mentally and emotionally and physically so that you can begin to create the next greatest version of yourself. You can't feel do well if you don't feel well. And when you're out of alignment, when you're in pain, and I've been there, and he helped me. He helped me align myself, and it changed my attitude. He helped me to be able to stand erect. And when I left his office, my head was up, and I was feeling better than good, better than most, and sometimes better than that. Let me tell you something. When I got through, he said, you know what? I'm going to hire you. <laughs> I said, look here. You got me so fired up. I mean, I was, let me tell you, I was in such pain. Sadika pain is something else. It's a, it's a trip all by itself. I, I've dealt with cancer pain, but Sadika, that's a whole different other animal. And he alleviated that, did an adjustment with me. Oh, my goodness. I looked at his hand to see if he had a ring on. I was ready to marry him. <laughs> oh, behave. So, anyhow, what's your next question? If it's okay. By the way, Rez, give me a hand up in the group. Whether if you're learning a lot from Les. You're learning a lot? Awesome, awesome. Les, I'd love to ask um, uh, if it's okay if, um, if we open up to just a, a, a one or two questions from the group. And I, I always... I always I always tell uh, my group to um, take the opportunity and go first. So, great. So who would like to who would like to ask a question? Is it just unmute yourself. Unmute yourself. You can ask a question there. Filippo, I think you asked a question. You wanted to ask a question. Just unmute yourself there. And you can ask a question and then we can uh, uh, go from there. Filippo, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you cool. hear me? Filippo, awesome, awesome. how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Glass, it's so good to talk to you personally. So thank you very much for uh, all your wisdom. Thank um, you. Uh, I have a question for you. So you talked about, uh, about wanting success and expecting success. So um, how do you, what is one tip that you can give me to, oh, to, to everybody? How do you go from wanting to expecting? You go from wanting to expecting. Remember I said wanting is lip service, but expecting shows up in behavior. It's how you conduct yourself. Uh, somebody say, well, I want to lose weight, but they haven't changed their eating habits. They're not exercising. So wanting is not an active force in their lives. But when you expect to lose weight, you, you make a radical change in your behavior because you have to be in alignment with that, that level of expectation, with the actions that you take changing your diet, exercising, uh, minimizing stress in your life, and, and getting proper sleep. You do research and you uh, create a different environment for yourself. So that's the primary difference. It's about how you show up, the things that you do, 
the strategies that you implement, that's, that's what expectation shows you. That show, tells you this person is serious. Does that make sense? Awesome. Yeah, so action. Yes, indeed. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, Leslie. You're quite welcome. Yes, sir. Cool. Who's got another question? Let's take one more question. I want to be respectful of Les's time. So last question. I'm fine. Uh, I'm here to serve you, Ryan. I'm here to serve you. I'm fine. Uh, okay, good, good. Thanks, Les. Thanks. Who, uh, who's, who's that? Tom, go for it. Oh. Is that Tom? Tom Ola? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Okay, great. Go for it, my friend. Ask the question. Go for it. Uh, Les, thank you very much for sharing your time. I really appreciate that. Um, I've obviously absorbed your stuff for many years, but you talk about something... Um, where you were sleeping in the building that you were working in and telling people how to become successful in their life before you were successful yourself. Um, and I suppose, could you share with myself and for everybody else on the call, maybe some stuff that we can be doing to really bring ourselves up to that level of frequency uh, to be able to embody the thing that we're trying to achieve, I suppose, before, before it's actually manifested. You, one, I kept a vision of where I was going, what I wanted to achieve. I had a picture of me standing before a large audience in a stadium. I didn't know what stadium it was going to be on. And I saw that every day. And so what I did was, and this is what I do with all the goals that I have. My first major goal was to buy my mother a home. I'm here because of two women. One gave me life. The other one gave me love. God took me out of my biological mother's womb and placed me in the heart of my adopted mother. I always say that, like Abraham Lincoln, all that I am and all that I ever hope to be, I owe to my mother. And so I, I wanted to take care of my mother. If anything happened to her, I wanted her to know I would always be there. And so, but the main thing, I wanted to get this home. And I took a picture of a home that I knew she would love. And so I had that picture, number one. And I was in the Penobscot building, 21st floor in Detroit, Michigan. As I said, seven is my lucky number. So three times seven is 21. And I had a picture of the home and I had over the top, I give thanks that I have purchased this home for my mother, fully furnished and everything paid for. On the back of the card, I had Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. So I read that a minimum of three times a day. And when I would get up in the morning in the Penobscot building, I had to sleep in the closet because the janitorial staff, they would come in between one and two o'clock. So I had to go and hide in the closet while they cleaned the offices because you were not allowed to stay in the office. The security said, and they reported me to, to the owners, this is not an apartment building. And so I hid from the janitorial staff in the closet and I bathed in the sink down the hall. But I always, when I got up in the morning, I looked at that home and it says, I give thanks that I have purchased this home for my mother. It's fully furnished and everything's paid for. And then I turn the card over and I said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. Now I'm going to tell you something I've never talked about publicly. I was dating a young lady who was an ophthalmologist. And so she invited me to lunch 
she came down to pick me up at the Penobscot building. And she knew that I was sleeping in my office. And she had me to have lunch with her friend. I just remembered her name, Rosalind. And so Rosalind came and said, how are you doing, Mr. Brown? I said, fine. And so we sat down at the Renaissance. It's a tall building in Detroit. And she said, uh, what kind of work do you do? I said, well, I'm going to become a nationally known motivational speaker and trainer. She said, is that right? Who are you going to speak for? I said, major corporations around the world, AT&T, Procter & Gamble, McDonald's Corporation, General Electric. Look at all these major automobile manufacturers here in Detroit. So she said, where'd you get your training? Oh, I don't have any college training. In fact, I think this is going to give me an advantage. When I was in fifth grade, I was labeled educable mentally retarded and put back from the fifth grade to the fourth grade. And I failed again when I was in the eighth grade. But I think that gives me an advantage. I don't have any college training, but I'm hungry and I'll do a great job. She said, you will, huh? I said, yes. She said, Mildred, can we go to the restroom right now? So Mildred said, yes. So they got up and went to the restroom. They're gone for about 15 minutes. Came back, Mildred's eyes were red. And so Rosalind said, goodbye, Mr. Motivator. You take care here. I said, yes, ma'am. It's a pleasure meeting you. I said, Mildred, why are you crying? What did she say to you? She said, you're suffering from delusions of grandeur. She's a psychiatrist. <laughs> I said, is that a good thing? She said, hell no. She said, you crazy. <laughs> so she said, I have to, she told me I need to end the relationship with you. That I'm an ophthalmologist and that I'm unevenly yoked. I'm sorry. But have we had any problems? She said, no. Have I asked you for anything? She said, no. But she said, I need to be with somebody that's on my level. At that time, I was furious. But today I look back and I'm so thankful because I took the picture that I had of her and every morning when I got up on that floor to myself, I, first of all, I, I, I I did not have a an inflated tube that you sleep on those inflated beds. My 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 best friend Boo and and Larry D'Angie, call him the Italian stallion. They slept on a comforter like I slept on the hard floor. So every time I moved, I felt it. And every time I'd look at her picture and say, "You don't know me. You don't know me." And would you believe six weeks later, Sue Burkhardt, who worked for me, uh, said, there's a person that wants you to come speak at this church called the Church of Today outside of Detroit. Are you willing to speak? I said, absolutely. So I went and spoke. At the end of my presentation, a television station news reporter was there. He loved my speech. He needed, did an interview with me. And Michael King of the King Brothers saw that interview. And he called my office the next day and said, may I speak to Les Brown? 
And she said, Mr. Brown, there's a call for you. I said, hello, how are you? My name is Michael King and I'm, I represent King World. And I, I saw you in an interview and I was a little tipsy, but man, I think you got a gift. I, I would like for you to do a show like Jerry Springer. You could be a good black version of Jerry Springer. I said, that's not me, sir. You take care, but thank you so much for your call and hung up. He called back again. He said, this is Michael King. You're gonna get something from me and you're gonna call me back. And he hung. I hung up again. Three days later, I got a FedEx. Sue said, oh my God. Sue, what's wrong? This has gotta be fake. Sue, are you all right? No. And she came in, she said, look at this. This can't be real. What is it? Look, look. Les Brown, $2.5 million. A two point, a check with $2.5 million check with my name on it. I said, no, somebody's playing the joke on me. I said, I'm going down to the bank right now, Bank of America. So I told Larry DeAndre, I said, come on, take me down there now. I went there. Hi, my name is Les Brown. Let me like to um, cash my check, please. But I don't want much of it. I just um, maybe like two or three hundred dollars because I didn't want them to think that I was committing fraud. So they looked at it. And the lady said, that's all you want? I said, yes. And fortunately, the check was written on Bank of America. And she gave me $200. I didn't move right away because I would have peed on myself, being honest. I said, oh my God. As a result of that, I called Mildred. <laughs> invited her down to the Renaissance Hotel. I got some guys, about four guys, to get some roses, rose petals. And, and I had a limousine to pick her up and sprinkle rose petals in her path as she came in. And then I had a guy to escort her up in a white tuxedo. And then they brought her to my table. And I said, order whatever you want. And she sat down and and she said, thank you. And as she started eating it, all of a sudden, she dropped down on her knees and said, would you please marry me now? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not mentally fit for you. <laughs> oh my God, what a mighty God we serve. <laughs> How things turn around. When you are committed to a dream, the, the tough times you put it in your heart, the good times you put it in your pocket. We're going through some stuff right now, but it has not come to stay, it has come to pass. Therefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. Faith, determination, perseverance, hunger, being relentless, coming back again and again and again, looking for ways to win.
That's what it takes. That's what it takes. There are people now, a lady, I wanted, if I could have just grabbed her and shook her, she's on television. She says, I've lost everything. She, her business had been looted. And I, and I wanted to say, you got life. You woke up this morning, it was not a chalk outline around your body. You got a pulse. Your heart is still beating. You didn't lose everything. You lose your life, you've lost everything. Even if you have all your materialistic possessions, but you got life. You can come back from this. There are people that if you have a GoFundMe will help her raise money. And I'm one of them who will contribute to help her restore what she had. Don't give up. No, there are things that will happen for you that will come out of nowhere. I believe in angels. And angels only serve people that are willing to work their butts off even when they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. My daughter has a book called, uh, that, that she's completing called, Are Your Angels Unemployed? Most people, angels are unemployed. They're in the spa, getting a pedicure, manicure, because the person that they're assigned to, they're not doing anything. They haven't gone through anything. They're living a safe life. There's no safe life. You cannot get out of life alive. You got to die to leave here. And so life is about living. Here in my father glorify that ye bear much fruit, that, that we are to, to, to produce. We are created by the creator to create. And all these things that are we're experiencing right now, we got to grow from this. In the middle of a surgery, it looks like a murder, but on the other side, there's a healing to be had. Give me another question, my brother. Yes, sir, I will. Uh, Dean, 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 <laughs> Dean. I know you've got a question to ask. So Dean, if you unmute yourself and ask Lester a question. Hi, Les. How are you? I'm blessed to hear your voice. It's always a treat when great people meet. Thank you so much. I uh, listen to your podcast very often, and I'm a massive fan. So thank you so much. Thank you, sir. So my question to you, sir, is um, in your 75 years of existence, like one, what one thing would you do more of and what one thing would you do less of? One, I would spend the majority of my time working on myself to believe in myself. Because for 14 years, I would go see Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, my heart would say, I can do that. But my mind would say, Les Brown, you can't do that. You don't have a college education. Les Brown, you can't do that. You were labeled educable, mentally retarded. You don't have the money. You don't have the contacts. You don't have the experience. So I would go to seminars and just watch these speakers. And then my heart would be jumping in my chest. And, and by the time I got to my car, my mind took over. A friend of mine, Gary Cox, he said, if there's an argument between your mind and your heart, follow your heart. Where your heart is there, your treasure is also. So 14 years, I didn't do it because I didn't believe in me. So I would spend more time doing exactly what you're doing, engage in a process, investing in myself, to expand my vision of myself. Warren Buffett said, the most important investment you can make is in yourself. 
Here's a guy with billions of dollars in real estate, billions of dollars in the stock market. But he said, the most important investment you can make is in yourself. The second thing that I would do in addition to that, and, and I go to seminars and workshops even now, because I, don't, I believe that you're not too old to learn and you're not too young to teach. I would continuously monitor my relationships. I practice a principle of OQP, only quality people. You, you have to look at your relationships and you have to ask the question. I remember Zig Ziglar and it was Jim Rowan said, when you look at people in your life and you look at your life, he said, is it a warning or is it an example? Is it a warning of what not to do or an example of what to do? And the same thing with relationships. There are people who are always there when they need you, but when you need them, you can't find them. They don't give you any referrals. They won't make any calls for you. They won't give you any business. I don't take calls from people who don't support me in what I do and people that I've been there for them. And so I would always upgrade my relationships. When I got back from Dubai, because of my relationships, I had someone to come over and teach me how to do virtual seminars and how to bring energy and passion and personality through it. I'd never done one before. And I thought it would be awkward, but not now because of what I've learned and because of what I'm doing and because of the relationships that I'm having, and I'm getting a lot of referrals. The average speaker, according to the National Speakers Association, they get around 25 referrals a year for speaking engagement. I get over 3,000 because of my network, because of my relationship capital, over 3,000 referrals a year. 95% of referrals for engagement is because of personal relationships. Mm. And so those are two things, working on my mind and upgrading my relationships. Those are two things I would focus on. Cool. Thanks, Les. That's amazing. And then I'll take the last question, actually. Wendy, Wendy, you got a question. We're supposed to actually have Wendy on sharing her, uh, her things. I'd love to get her up. Wendy, are you there? Yeah, hi, hi. Hello, Wendy. Wendy, oh, oh Wendy, Wendy, don't let me down. <laughs> oh, Mr. Les Brown, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 like, I'm blushing, I'm blushing. <laughs> uh, I'm blushing too, but you can't see it. It's okay. <laughs> um, I was just, uh, I, I love all your stories. And I was, I was just wondering if you'd like to share the story of, you were saying at the beginning that uh, when you started, uh, when you were young, that you weren't particularly good at school and you tend to fail at school a lot. And uh, you probably would have been surrounded by a lot of uh, people then that were telling you that you probably weren't going to amount to much. And I was wondering if there was a pivotal moment at that point when you when you decided to that this was not going to be you, that you were going to prove them wrong, or was there a person that helped you through that time of your life? Yes, yes. I had an interruption. And, and that's what chiropractors have to do. They have to interrupt the collective consciousness and thinking of how people look at your profession. The, I was in the 11th grade because I was in special education all the way through school, but I went in this classroom looking for a friend of mine named MacArthur Stevens. And, and the 
instructor was Mr. Leroy Washington. And so he said, young man, I want you to go before the class and I want you to read this piece. He, he thought that I was most suited for a script and a, and a role in a place. So I went, we got to work this problem out and I want you to help us. And I said, I can't do that, sir. And he said, why not? I said, I'm not one of your students. He said, look at me. I said, yes, sir. He said, do it anyhow. I said, I can't, sir. And so the other students started laughing. They said, he's Leslie. He's got a twin brother, Wesley. Wesley's smart, but he's DT. And I said, I'm that, sir. And he said, what is DT? And they said, he's the dumb twin. And he looked at me. I said, yes, sir, I am. I'm the dumb twin. I'm not Wesley. I know I look like my twin brother, but I'm the dumb twin. And he came from behind his desk and he looked at me. He said, don't you ever say that again. Someone's opinion of you does not have to become your reality. And boy, wow. My mother said, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you. But words do hurt and deeply. But when he said that, it jarred me. He interrupted the vision of myself, the, the years that I've been bullied and called DT. And I answered. I just got tired of fighting and, and I surrendered. And I never forget when I left this class, I kept so, saying to myself, someone's opinion of me does not have to become my reality. Someone's opinion of me does not have to become my reality. Someone's opinion of me does not have to become my reality. I said that all the way home and when they called me DT the next day, I didn't even look. I didn't even respond. And after a while, they stopped. It's been said, it's not what they call you, it's what you answer to. When they called me Leslie, I responded. And so that was, that was a defining moment for me. And I, 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 I took him on as my spiritual father. I've never known my, my biological mother or father. And I watched him and I studied him. He, 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 no matter what kind of shirt or suit he wore, he always wore a red tie. I wear red ties all the time. And I asked him, I said, why do you wear a red tie every day? He said, it's, it's my superpower. It's my symbol of power. I said, wow. So, I started doing it very young age and he gave a speech on greatness to the graduating seniors and, and he got a standing ovation. And when he went down the steps of the auditorium out into the parking lot, I followed him. I said, Mr. Washington. He said, yes. I said, do you remember me? He said, no. I said, I'm one of the twins. I was in your class and, and you told me somebody's opinion of me does not have to become my reality. I said, do you remember me now? He said, yes, I do. I said, my mother works in the cafeteria. Yes, miss. you, Mr. Brown, yes, sir, yes, sir, I am. You said to the graduating seniors that they had greatness in them and that when they leave here, they can make the school proud, they can make their family proud, they can make their community proud. He said, yes. I said, I want to make my mother proud. Can I make my mother proud? He said, yes, you can. 
And then he turned to walk away. I said, Mr. Washington? He said, yes. I said, then how do you explain the fact that I failed math and history and English and I've got to go to summer school for the fifth straight year and my brother has never had to go to summer school? Only me. And he said, it doesn't mean that you don't have greatness in you, it just means that you got to work harder. I said, okay. And then he turned to walk away again. I said, Mr. Washington, he said, yes. I said, you said if one person here heard you in their heart that your being brought here from Bradenton, Florida would not have been in vain. I said, I want you to know, sir, I'm the one. I don't know if they heard you, but I'm that one. I want to make my mother proud. I'm the one, sir. He said, okay, Mr. Brown, it's possible. And he walked away. I said, do you hear me? I'm the one. I'm Miss Mamie Brown's baby boy. I'm the one. You're going to hear my name one day. And he just kept walking. He didn't say anything else. Years later, I did a PBS special called You Deserve. Got a Chicago area Emmy. You can go online and see it called You Deserve. And friends called him and said, you won't believe this. Turn on your television, public television. And when they introduced me, ladies and gentlemen, Les Brown, he called his wife, Edith. Edith, it's the dumb twin. Come look. <laughs> He said, she said, he sat in amazement. Even when the program went off, he just sat there and looked. He said, who would have thought? Who would have thought? And he called me in Detroit. And he said, may I speak to Mr. Brown, please? I said, who's calling? He said, you know who this is. I said, Mr. Washington. He said, yes, you were the one, weren't you? I said, yes, sir. He said, but you were such a crazy kid. I said, I know, but I'm rich now. <laughs> <laughs> he was shocked out of his mind. Who would have thought of all his kids, thousands of his kids, I was the only one from Booker T. Washington High School in Liberty City and Overtown in Miami emerged to this level. Boy. Wow. This thing called life. I know you guys got to go and got to do other things. Thank you so much, Ryan. Mr. Les Brown, sir, it was an honor. And, um, you know, every time I hear you speak, every time I hear you speak, you, you light up. I just got I just got a heart written down here, and um, and it's not what you it's not what you it's not what they call you, it's what you answer to, 
And uh, I can honestly say that uh, today, sir, you can answer, answer to the word legend and a motivator and someone of heart that we truly love and appreciate. So if you, uh, thank you so much. If you can, everyone in my crew, if you unmute yourself very quickly. Unmute okay, yourself but very quickly. wait just a moment. Please tell them about my book. You got to be hungry. All right. That's my new book. And, and you can get it on I am hungry less brown. I am hungry less brown.com. I am hungry less brown.com. It will show us the cover. Show us the cover again. Is that your new book? Hey, eh? it's my new book. It took a long time coming, but it was written for this time. I am hungry less brown.com. Go there and get it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I want you would like to get my some help to get it on the New York Times bestseller. We will absolutely you'll have our full support. And I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And uh, my Inner Circle crew will be spending some more time with Les. Uh, okay, and I want you all to visualize me being cancer-free before the end of the year. That's my big goal this year. Pray for me. You guys with there? Guys, every big round of applause, Mr. Les Brown. Les, thank you so much. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you thanks Les Les I'll speak to you soon thank you thank you thank you okay my brother thank you so much my brother thank you thank all you right. guys I hope you had an amazing time I know it's a Saturday and you've all got um, um, a million places to be but first of all how many of you thought Les was amazing incredible right incredible what an amazing human being such a big heart and we're very blessed to have had him on today